Uh, welcome to the latest episode of View from the Loch. Uh, this is a very special episode, and particularly for Loch Lomond members. Uh, absolutely delighted to welcome onto the podcast, Lyle Anderson. Hello, Lyle. Hello, Bill. How are you doing? Great. Uh, lovely to have you on, and uh, you're looking well, Lyle, I have to say. You're born in Seattle. And uh, what was your earliest involvement in golf, Lyle? Was it around the Seattle area? Yes, my father was uh, had bought with some partners. They, they bought uh, a nine-hole golf course near Seattle. And I okay. was about five years old when we moved there. And he took care of everything. He was the greenskeeper. He was the pro. He was the, the whole thing. And we lived right on the right on the golf course in the clubhouse, which was very small, it was a public golf course. And then uh, about a year later, we had a major flood and we lost everything. Or, you know, and I remember uh, moving to back in with one of our uncles. And we had a very tough time as a family for a long time as far as financial, so. Gosh. And uh, that, that, golf, but it was a good one because my I remember have a lot of wonderful memories even back then, you know, of being together with my family around the golf course. Yes, it's really interesting what you can remember and recall. I've always been around hotels uh, with my family and and auntie as well, who were all been involved in hotels. And you know, at, at the time, you're maybe not you're growing up and you're young and you're not quite appreciating you know, what's going on around you. But uh, later in life, you start to look back and realize, you know, it, it actually had a huge influence uh, on your life uh, without you actually knowing. And of course, for you, Lyle, you, you, you're a qualified electrical engineer. Um, and then you ended up in Scottsdale and real estate. So right. what was the connection there, Lyle? Well, I graduated from Walker University of Washington and electrical engineering. And uh, I went to, I immediately took a job in that sector. And uh, I started selling real estate accidentally on the weekends around the golf course community, you know, about 60 miles from Seattle on the week. So I drive and drive over on weekends, sell real estate. And uh, I loved it. I, I, found, I found a passion in this. And so then my career took a turn for the, you know, my mother thought at the moment the worst. She said, giving up something to be in the real estate. And I said, no, I really like it. I love it. And uh, so I started selling real estate for a while and then uh, ultimately wound up with my own business. Yes, I mean, you say that um, uh, a lot of developers paint by numbers, uh, but you seem to suggest it was a, a sort of a canvas, a blank canvas, and you needed to be creative. Um, so I, I assume, can you explain your thinking behind that? Well, I think every piece of land is different in terms of its physical characteristics and the nature and, uh, you know, the foliage and on the different rivers and lakes and different things. And I think it's a canvas to be really creative. And I've always looked at it that way as being something that you could, you could say, take what nature gives you and try to try to celebrate it. And that's what we did with our projects. We had several. And uh, 
I always look for that, that kind of opportunity. Yes, I mean, and then, of course, uh, it all became, well, maybe not all, but golf course related with real estate uh, around. So Desert Mountain was, you know, particularly particularly famous uh, before Loch Lomond. Uh, and, um, you know, tell me what excited you about that particular site. Lyle, what was on, what was on that canvas? Well, first of all, the first project they did was Desert Highland, which is probably six or seven miles south of it, and it yeah. was about a thousand acres. And I, I didn't know anything about about development, particularly at that time. I was more interested in the real estate land and, and the sales uh, side. And I saw Desert Highlands, and I got the idea that we could do a private club, private golf club, and. Uh, I pursued it, and then as a result, it became very, it became very famous in terms of golf, the golf world, and having the first two skins games ever, ever done. We did at Desert Islands, and then, you know, saying this was a successful thing, so I started looking for another property, and I found one at Desert Mountain, which was up the up the way, you know, set a few miles out of town further. But I found that property was about nine thousand acres, and I. I looked at it and I just said, wow, this is quite a quite a situation. I looked at it thinking it could also be a, be a multifaceted golf community with more than one golf course. And that's sure. the starting game. And well, a residential community. Now it now currently has seven golf courses with <laughs> two thousand homes. So <laughs> Yeah, it stood the test of time, that's that's for sure. Now you glossed over Lyle. I mean that that is an, an amazing achievement and uh you know it's incredible what what you've created uh, around that particular area um but you, you skimmed over the the skins game at desert highlands uh, i mean this was the first televised skins match yeah the, the four ball was jack nicholas arnold palmer gary player and tom watson i mean that is sensational. So it's very interesting, and and I remember Arnold Palmer. The first year we had it, we had it two years. And the first year, Palmer sunk a putt on the eleventh hole. I was standing on the edge of the hole, the green weather, and he sunk a putt for probably thirty feet for a hundred thousand dollars. You've never seen anybody that's oh. big up in that hole. You've never seen anybody so excited as Arnold Palmer. So he told me afterwards, that's the most money I've ever made in golf at the time. So, Gee whiz, what a fantastic story. And um, was it the same four ball the second year? Yes. And then the second year, Jack Nick was sunk a putt on 18 and won <laughs> all the skins on the back nine. The skins are cumulative. We started out at 10,000 a hole, then it goes to 20,000 a hole, then it was 30,000 a hole. And Jack won all the skins on the back nine for $240,000. And in those days, golfers weren't paid like they are now. But yeah. uh, that, was a, that was a very big event. And it uh, kind of took television by storm as far as the golfing. It, was, it had huge ratings. And uh, I've got very fond memories. Well, I mean, you know, so all of a sudden, your canvas, if we call it that, uh, you've created in Desert Highland, Desert Mountain, uh, you know, the properties you've mentioned. You've got four of the top players of all time to play skins 
televised for huge sums of money. It's a new format that's never been seen before. You've got it televised. There's huge audiences. I'm sure the uh, galleries were also significant. I mean, you, you must have thought, Lyle, that uh, life is, uh, you know, is full of home runs. Well, it was an exciting time. It was all new. And, uh, you know, being in the middle of it, you're kind of in the middle of a hurricane. You don't really understand. You don't really see the, whatever people, everybody else sees. But we were just putting one foot in front of the other and trying to do the right thing. And we stumbled upon the skin game, which really wound up being a terrific promotion for the project called Desert Highlands. And that spurred me on to Desert Mountain, which was the next one. Well, we yes. were still doing that. And uh, then we did the tradition at Desert Mountain, which became a major championship on the Champions Tour. Well, um, you know, it is quite a, a significant impact you've made um, on, on the world of golf. And then, of course, um, you developed a really close relationship with Jack Nicholas, uh, and you became firm friends and, and obviously developed. Uh, more than a dozen golf courses with Jack. So how did this relationship start? Uh, why was it so special, Lyle? And what sort of characteristics did Jack have that you particularly gravitated towards? Well, first of all, I met Jack in 1980 after I had cold called his office to just see whether I could have a conversation with him. And he wasn't in, and I gave, I gave a an explanation of the Desert Highlands golf course to his secretary. And I said, would you please write this down? And she wrote, then about five minutes later, I got a call from his president and Chuck Perry, who called me and said, would you repeat what you said to, to Jack's assistant? And I said, yes, I repeated that. And he said, we'll have somebody out there on Monday to take a look. And uh, Jay Moorish, who became well, the architect for Black Woman, was mm -hmm. working with Jack Nichols at the time. And he came out and said, looked at the property with me, and he said, Jack would be absolutely over the moon to do this. And I said, well, I need to meet him and look me in the eye here on the property and tell me what he's going to do. And he came to the property. I met him in Dallas, and then he came to the property uh, after we talked for several hours about the golf course. He came and looked, and he said, Lyle, I promise you, you'll have the best golf course in the Southwest when I'm done. And that's how we started our relationship. And it really has become a lifelong friendship with he and his wife and family and my family. And we've traveled the world together and done a lot of things together. And he's one of the finest men I've ever met. And that was the reason I picked him because he had, a, I, before I met him, he had a wonderful image. I mm -hmm. thought, yes, and that's the image I wanted to brand with, with the golf course was somebody that had those kind of values. And Jack is an outstanding family man. He's a wonderful friend. He's very gracious. And uh, obviously, he's accomplished a lot in his life. Well, I mean, the Golden Bear, you know, it's a legendary stuff. And particularly, you know, in all the majors, and you you think, or I think of a young guy growing up uh, watching the Open. Um, and you know, the, the jewel and the sun and, and just Jack was always involved uh, at the top of the leaderboard and, uh, you know, either won the tournament uh, or was there or thereabouts. And everybody got everybody off the edge of their seats. 
And he did come across as a pretty humble sort of guy. Uh, I know he was an absolutely huge competitor, of course. I mean, that goes without saying. But, you know, uh, Tom Weisskopf, um, and, and I've told this story on one of the podcasts as well, but Tom Weisskopf tells a story about he realised that Jack had a different mindset to the rest of the professional golfers uh, at that time, whereby uh, Jack asked Tom for a read of a putt. It was the Ryder Cup uh, of GB in Ireland versus USA. And uh, Tom said that Jack had never asked for a read ever. Uh, but anyway, Tom said it's, it's two balls to the right. Jack, it was about a 25-foot putt. And Jack said, that's the way I see it as well. Um, hit the putt, skimmed the hole, didn't drop, and Tom, walking past Jack, said, uh, unlucky Jack. And Jack turned to Tom and said, there's nothing unlucky about that. It was the perfect putt. And Tom realized then that Jack's mindset was he'd hit the putt where he was supposed to hit the putt. The fact that it didn't quite break and drop was almost irrelevant in his mind. So he thought that was a successful putt. And it was then, Weisskopf said, that was maybe the first time that he sort of saw psychology in sport uh, and, and the strength of nature was with Jack Nicholas. I'm sure that doesn't surprise you, Lyle, that story. No, I, I would say, you know, for Jack Nicholas, one of the reasons one of the reasons he won so much in his life in golf is that his mental strength. His mental strength was unbelievable, is unbelievable. I mean, he can remember practically every tree on the golf course of all the courses he designed. I mean, he really does have a fabulous memory. And he's really a very good artist. I mean, people don't realize what an art golf course architecture is. Mm. That's an artist. And he really knows how to, how to make people feel good about the land and how the land curves and bends and does the rough, those things. And I learned a lot from him all the trips that I've made with Jack, looking at golf courses, I, I marvel and uh, at his skill. So not yeah. only at all is he skilled, he's a skilled, I call him a skilled artist. Yes, well, and obviously that's something that uh, inspires you, Lyle, and is very much part of your ethos, uh, it feels. And anyway, so things develop, all of a sudden, Loch Lomond becomes available. Uh, David Brench, uh, the, the originator, uh, who dealt with Sir Ivor Cahoon, uh, unfortunately, things didn't pan out. So here was a, an opportunity for Loch Lomond in Scotland. Uh, Tom Eiskoff was the, the designer. Um, so I guess, I, I'm not sure actually how far Tom had designed the course, Lyle, when you arrived. Um, but uh, what w enticed you? to the Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond Golf Club in Scotland? Well, I had uh, my vice chairman named Phil Schneider, you know, Phil. Yes. He, was, he had arrived at Loch Lomond and took a tour. And for about two years, he was pumping me, please come over and take a look at this, Lyle, because you really like this. I also got, well, got conversation, many conversations with Tom Weisskopf, who's a great friend of mine rest his soul, and also Brian Morgan, a photographer from Scotland. Yes. And they were very much pushing me to come over and look at Loch Lomond. This is 
right with something you really love. I came to Lachlan. Finally, I went, I, Phil and I got off the plane and we came over for a 24 hour trip over to, over to Scotland, stayed in Glasgow, and then uh, came out and visited the property. And uh, Robin Parr greeted us. And we took, I took a look at the property and literally, as Parr has said before, it took me less than an hour. And I said, let's do it. Let's do this. Let's make this what you know, I sort of had a dream for. It, and let's make the dream come true. And well, that's how I, I, I wasn't on the property more than an hour. And, and the property was pretty swampy and hmm. the wasn't finished. It was a lot, there were a lot of things to be done. But uh, Bank of Scotland was the owner of the golf course at the time. And we graciously, he was gracious in terms of making a deal with me. And we, uh, the rest is history, history from there. Well, I mean, what history, you know, what a legacy that you've left. So to try to, um, you know, uh, ensure that uh, that legacy is explained. So effectively, the golf course wasn't finished. It was swampy conditions. Um, the Ross 2 house, which, uh, of course, all the members will know very well, uh, which dates back to the 1770s, um, had a tree growing through it, through where Spikes Bar is. Uh, it was really inhabitable, technically, um, for a listed building. You know, it, it, it took, you know, an, an amazing vision, Lyle, to create what you created and what you left, uh, you know, the members of Loch Lomond Golf Club. So I don't want to skim over that. I, I think uh, you're very humble, really, and uh, but I think what you did uh, was actually create a world-class uh, internationally renowned golf club uh, with facilities that are second to none. Uh, they are five-star uh, and only somebody with the vision uh, and creativity like you had would be able to do it. So I don't think we should, I think we should take a step back and say what how did you see the canvas? I keep talking about it because it feels as if it's the appropriate word to use. When you looked at Loch Lomond, you know, what what came into your mind about how to move everything forward? Well, I think anybody who would have taken a look at the property back then, you couldn't help but see the potential of the property. The, you know, the lock is un, you know, unimaginably beautiful. And the golf course was very, very, in a very quality way, placed in the environment by Vice Coffin Moorish. They did a terrific job yes. in design. And we had, of course, all the trees and all the naturalness of the site. And he looked at it and he said this. I said, I, I had the vision that we could have an international golf club where people could be from other parts of the world and come to Scotland, and this would be the home course in Scotland, but they then want to play the other golf courses in Scotland. So Scotland was the reason that I bought it, because Scotland was the home of golf. And there are pilgrims, you know, people coming from all over the world all every year, all the time, to play golf in Scotland. So I thought this could be a very interesting international club. That's what, that's what we wanted to create, which we did. 
Yes, it's interesting the international aspect of the club. Um, the, the feeling, uh, or well, what was created was a, a club that wasn't your number one club. Um, you know, it, it was um, a, a club that you'd visit maybe infrequently um, and, you know, entertain or, um, you know, bring your family, I guess. Uh, the, the home from home was significant, uh, still holds true, of course. And did, did you did did it just unfold in front of you, Lyle? That sort of uh, there's no real estate, so I mean purely golf, um, food and beverage. There was some accommodation. The spa came later, but you know, uh, was it sort of? Did you think yes, this could be a country club, or were you very much well? It's 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 a private members club. Private members club. Yeah. We had accommodations. Uh, I couldn't help but, you know, think of a good model, which was Augusta National, and, mm. and, uh, which is a fabulous club in America, in the world, and it has accommodations. So we had at least a couple of good, a good role models there and took a look at that and said, well, why not Scotland? This is a place that could really be, you know, not... You can't compete with Augusta. I don't want to be the same thing, but Augusta National certainly, certainly was a good model for what we did. And then well, yeah. also added a tournament, which I think gave it worldwide appeal. Well, yes, absolutely. So uh, as you point out, you're, you're a member of Augusta, Lyle, uh, as, as well. And, uh, you know, I'm going to jump back to the Scottish Open World Invitational in a second. But uh, in terms of Augusta, for you, how special is Augusta being a member of Augusta? You know, is 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 a incredible thing. Um, and is it a course that you've played often? And can you describe to those of us who've never been to Augusta what is the appeal of, of Augusta National? Well, Augusta National has a first of all, it's a beautiful site as well. It was yeah. a, originally a nursery in uh, in in Georgia. And uh, then the course was done by Bobby Jones and Alistair McKenzie way back in the 30s. I think that was the time. And it became a, a place for people on the West Coast primarily uh, to go to Augusta on the weekends. It was not a primary club for a lot of people. It was more of a second club away from home. And uh, then it evolved with the Masters Golf Tournament over the years and became extremely famous. But they they've held on to their traditions all these years. And I think one of the key features you feel in Augusta is the tradition and the, the way that it's operated and the quality of its maintenance and the service and all the different things and the quality of the accommodations. So we had something at least to look at to say, to compare ourselves to, to say, let's, let's aspire to, some, to, to a lot of those goals, and we did. So our accommodations are really, I think, outstanding at Lone Lone. Golf mm -hmm. course is outstanding. Mm -hmm. and the site is outstanding and the membership is outstanding. We had, a, I think we had 30 to 40 countries represented. I don't know yes. what it is today, but it's probably similar. Yeah, there are 32 different countries represented with membership of Lone Golf Club. Yeah, which, which uh, about 200 overseas members, which is incredible. You know, it's you can... Yeah, it, it, because if you go and have a look at other, you know, international renowned uh, golf clubs, you know, th there are a lot of people maybe around that 
area or from that country. But to have 200 overseas members is, is an incredible thing. And that's something that, that Lyle, you know, you, you created at, at that ethos uh, at Loch Lomond, which, you know, it was interesting hearing about Augusta. And that was obviously uh, a source of inspiration. And then it led on to your next phase. So I think the thing that's coming through very strongly is the building blocks uh, that you create uh, and, and to never sit still uh, and, and to keep developing, keep creating. And then what came next was the World Invitational, which came into the, then the Scottish Open uh, at Loch Lomond Golf Club. So how did the World Invitational start, Lyle? Uh, it was something that obviously you're used to dealing with TV companies and some of the world's top players. But uh, this was then now a international world uh, golf tournament. So what was the inspiration behind that? And how did you actually pull that off? Well, I have to thank, uh, I had the idea and uh, to do it. And I wanted to help promote the club and promote golf in the world, golf in Scotland. And uh, I thought it was a natural. I had the experience with the Skins game and also had developed the tradition at Desert Mountain. So I had quite a bit of experience with golf tournaments and I knew that this could be a terrific golf tournament in the European Tour and I met with Ken Schofield who was the uh, PGA director at the time and uh, Ken was very cooperative and we made a deal and I said I wanted a great date well he gave me the date right before the, the Open Championship which then I then I contacted uh, uh, in, uh, BBC and I was offered, they, they offered to do it and do the tournament. Offered, there was also one of the cable channels wanted to pay a lot of money to have it. And I said, no, I really want to be on BBC because it's going to go to, you know, worldwide audience. And sure enough, it did. I think we were over broadcast over 100 countries. I think we had say, 13 or 14 tournaments. Yeah. In the period of, of the tournament. Of the, you did. Start out as a locker room and World Invitational, and then it turned into the Scottish Open. We Scottish Open needed needed a place, and we then became the home of the Scottish Open for a few years. So um, wonderful, wonderful tournament. Yes, and, and I'm assuming Jack played. No, Jack, Jack didn't play. He was he didn't play. He was kind of finished playing at the time. Sure. And, okay. But we had some great oh. international stars that came and played it was a very popular term and of course all the top european stars played and we had great winners well with lee westwood on the podcast lyle and he fondly remembers his 2008 victory uh and um uh also i think tom lehman i'm hopeful is is going to come on and chat on the podcast and maybe ken schoolfield as well uh which would be great to hear their views of loch Lomond golf club and well, golf. we're all really good friends of mine and we had lots of fun and yeah i remember seeing lee westwood on the practice team and when uh, i think it was before the before this he won it was not the same term it was a year before and I just was watching him and I said, wow, this guy has something. So I walked down to say, I said, you know, Lee, I think one day you're going to be a winner of this tournament. The way he was hitting the ball, I couldn't believe it. So uh, sure enough, I think the next year he won it. 
Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I know what a what a golfer Lee oh. still is. But wow. Um, I mean, it, it's it's a uh, maybe a subject that's that's relatively controversial. But you know, the the live tour that's that's on the go uh, at the moment um, affords opportunities to golf courses. So uh, I think it was Adelaide, uh, and I believe there's twenty five thousand people a day. Uh, because I think in that particular part of the world, sort of starved of top class golf tournaments. Uh, do you think Live would be too controversial um, a tournament, Lyle? You know, to be held at a at, at any of your venues that you owned and created, uh, or would that be something that you think, well, you know, there's a huge opportunity, and that could be something that. Uh, is, is an interesting concept. Well, I think there's always, just like in, in football and different basketball, different they get different leagues that come up and try to try to join the join the party. And you know, I don't blame them for trying. I think that the problem the problem is you're really trying to you're trying to break into something that I'm not sure that's going to happen. In other words, it's happening at the moment, but will it last? I remember when we did the Locked Woman tournament that I announced with Ken Schofield on television that I would never pay an appearance fee because an awful lot of clubs pay appearance fees. We never paid an appearance fee to anybody. And in all the years, and we had some wonderful stars that came to play at Locked Woman without appearance fees. And so I think when you pay appearance fees, that sort of changes the playing field. And it changes the competition from a real competition to something that may not be, you know, much is much more. It changes the motivation of players. So I wanted to have a pure tournament, which we did, and uh, all those years, I'm proud of it. And you know, I best of luck to leave tour if they if they can compete and do what they can do. That's fine. And and luck to the regular tour. So I'm really neutral about. Sure. I just, I'm just watching like everybody else to see how well they all do. But we still love to see great players play. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Mickelson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mickelson was synonymous with the Scottish Open, Big Phil, uh, and he loved Loch Lomond yeah. uh, Golf Club. Nick Mickelson was very supportive of the Loch Lomond tournament. Loch Lomond. He did not appear. He didn't get appearance fees, or nobody did. So. It was all, let's say, a very level playing field turn. Yeah, and you know the crowds were massive. You know, I don't think they've been replicated since. You know, they're touching ninety thousand, uh, which was incredible. And the the fact is, Lyle, and you'll be well aware of this, the the amount of money, so thirteen odd competitions, that's well over a hundred million pounds pumped into the local economy. Mm -hmm. um, as well as the jobs that have been created uh, at Loch Lomond as well. Um, does that fill you with pride that you, you created something that socioeconomic ha had a big impact uh, on, on, you know, West Dumbartonshire and slightly beyond? Uh, and, and the fact that now we have 200 odd employees um, in, a, in a thriving golf club. I mean, that must fill you with a lot of pride, Lyle. I'm very proud, and I'm looking forward to next September, my next visit. So, yeah, that's been great. We're all, 
all excited. The group is coming. So we're, we're very, very proud of Lockholm, and I couldn't, I couldn't say more. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you, you know, what you created, as I've said, is is incredible. I mean, obviously, um, when things got difficult in the world of business, uh, and and Loch Lomond had to be relinquished, uh, it must have been completely heartbreaking, Lyle, um, to create something and then, unfortunately, to hand it over, uh, must have been something that, um, well. One, you've created something that stood the test of time uh, and is thriving, so that's a good news story. But secondly, it, it must have been a, a terrible time. Well, we all have those times in our lives, and I think a lot of our lives are are, are measured by how you come out of things like that, and whether you know come out, survive, and go forward. That's part of life. And yes, it was hard, but. I had a tremendous place in my heart with Lockdown, and that was hard, but my intention from the very beginning, and, and I so announced to the members in various meetings we had, that my intention ultimately would be to sell the club to the members, because it's a members club, and it's not, a, it was not something, you know, for, and I realized being a developer of all these projects, I'm a developer of, you know, they've turned, over the years, have turned all the golf courses back to the members, and they're all thriving wonderfully as as I look back. And so I, I couldn't be more pleased. Yes, well, indeed. So uh, sort of all's well ends well. And, and, you know, interestingly, I think for people who know this development, but you, you sold the, the land or you owned the land that has now become Scottsdale National, uh, which I had the privilege of uh, playing a few years ago. Um, it, it's quite a piece of ground. Uh, and, um, you know, Bob Parsons was the chap that, that bought it from you. Um, and, and, you know, you any thoughts on Scottsdale National? It, it, it's a special place, um, for sure. Um, it, it's a bit unique as well. Um, what, what's your thoughts on Scottsdale National? Well, that was a wonderful development, wonderful place. And I owned the land next door, to, and it bordered on the golf course, but it wasn't, in the golf, it wasn't part of the golf course. And Bob Parsons bought the golf course, and then he let it be known to me that he really wanted the land that I owned instead of being a 300 home. I was at 300 homes, I think we were planning there. Yeah. And uh, so just as I was ready to start developing, I got a call from Bob, and we sat down, and one thing led to another. And I, he made, as they say in certain areas, he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So. <laughs> It's now part of it's part of Scottsdale National Golf Club. He has one house on there, and he's built a clubhouse and a second yeah. golf course on the land that I had. So I'm very happy with that. Everybody and he's doing very well. It sounds like it's going very well. Yeah, he's quite a character. Oh, <laughs> That's for sure. He's quite a guy, and I I admire Bob very much. Yes, yes. Well, again, he had a great vision as well. So, Lyle, if there was a golfer today that would you would choose to design golf courses? So a sort of modern day golfer, who do you think would fit your raison d'etre? You mean as far as a designer? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, okay. so you could choose somebody because you like their, their attitude, you like the way that they approach golf, uh, you know, and, and you think, yeah, that's a person I could work with or I'd like to work with. Who, who would you choose? Well, I go back, you know, I, I don't know the the designers of today as much as probably some people do. But I remember Tom Fazio and, 
you know, who was outstanding. And of course, I did them with Jack. Arnold Palmer at the time was very interested in asking why I wouldn't do golf course with him. And, and, <laughs> and I really liked Arnold. He was a terrific guy, and we had gone on very well. But those are the people, on, and Pete Dye was a golf course designer at the time. But today's designers, I really don't know personally. I still yeah. Who's doing what? But, uh, you know, there's some nice names out there that they, of course, they seem to be getting better and better. And, and, and is, there, is there a four ball or um, a golf match that you were involved with, Lyle, that you can, you know, recall with fond memories? Um, you know, uh, and, and like to, uh, uh, you know, tell the listeners what, uh, what what that four ball could have been. A four ball on what now? I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Was there a four, four ball, Lyle, that you've played in that, uh, you know, you can particularly remember? So was it with Jack or Arnold or, oh, yeah. you know? I, yeah. I played in at and with Jack, and that, that's a big pro-am tournament here in the United States, a big they play every year. I played with the, in the ATT with Jack four times in front of you know thirty thousand of my closest friends. You know, <laughs> <laughs> my God, <laughs> uh, particularly nerve wracking experience, but I, I I learned to really love it. It was really fun, and it's okay. Yeah, thirty thousand. Yeah, thirty thousand people. My God, oh, I mean, just... that's, that's a rough estimate, but. Because they followed, they, they set it up, you play these different golf courses every year. I mean, yeah. each year, there's three different courses, including Pebble Beach. But the crowds, they put the, the celebrity types in one kind of one bunch, so the crowd moves from course to course each day. So there was about 30,000 people that felt like you were watching golf and you were playing. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fancy it. People that might shake one into it. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't fancy a ten-foot putt on the 18th in front of uh, ten thousand uh, spectators. That's for sure. Downhill, left to right. <laughs> I can't. I could. I could say that's probably number one experience I've had playing in AT and T with Jack Nichols. Gosh, so you, you mentioned Pebble Beach. Is there a golf course outside of Augusta and outside of the golf courses you created that uh, you're particularly fond of? Well, I, I've got to say Loch Lomond is right up there with anything in the top of the, in my estimation, top 10 in the world. And Augusta, of course, is, you know, is a phenomenal course. And we've done a dozen courses and they're all like children. You do each one of them you work on and you love them all kind of the same. But uh, no, I think, you know, I've played, I, I've been invited to Pinehurst. I played there. It was beautiful. But, I think every golf course is different. There are different feelings about courses, and I think uh, I like the I like the I like the ones we've done, and love Black Lomond, and love Augusta. Well, I, I mean, uh, you know, and, and what experiences you've had, and, and golf courses you've played, Lyle. Um, some of us can only dream about, uh, but uh, you know, you, you, you kind of earned the right. Um, for sure, you know, um, which is which is terrific. Now, there's one thing, and, and thank you so much for giving up your, your very precious time for the podcast, Lyle. We really, really honestly do appreciate it. But you mentioned, and it's a bit more of a businessy type question, um, but you, you, you talked about, and you've talked about the flow of money. 
uh, that a person owns and then you should let it flow from A to B and then let it create something. So that's a very interesting, uh, I, I think, thought process when it comes to handling money. So it is, what's your sort of thought process behind that um, for anybody that budding business people, um, you know, about to enter the business world? What, what did you mean about the flow of money, Lyle? You know, I, I think it's, it's all about balance. And I think people, we all get out unbalanced from time to time. We may think too much of this or too much of that. And some people too much about money. But money is to be used wisely, if you can, for society. Money, money they call currency. The reason they call it currency is because it floats. And... Mm. You need to you, you need to understand it's flows and it doesn't always just stick in your hands. <laughs> and uh, so everybody, I think it's I think people would do well to develop their philosophy about money, so that it doesn't let's say it, it doesn't influence their thinking in the wrong way. Yeah, I think well, what an explanation. That's absolutely spot on i think so lyle anderson today so lyle what are you up to today what's you know motivating you driving you forward in the world of business well i've always you know i i uh, am more I'm, retirement doesn't enter my mind no uh, i'm involved in many projects right now i'm not doing this i'm not doing them in the same way where i had you know at one time a thousand employees and five different projects at once I probably have five projects right now, but I'm doing I'm doing the you know the land debt and the entitlement issues and and more uh, without getting into the hardcore development of because it takes a lot of time and a lot of people and energy and I'm very happy with what I'm doing. I'm very much involved in like I say five different projects at the moment. Yeah, and business is fine. It's been, been very good to me. Well, Lyle, you, you'll be listening. I'm trying to balance my life, you know, with family and business and friends. Well, it sounds, sounds good to me. It sounds good to me. You'll be with us, Lyle, in September. Uh, we, we all can't wait to see you and Missy and, and the family. Yeah. You bring a lot of vibrancy uh, to the club, uh, a lot of good humor and good fun. Uh, so we're certainly looking forward to it, uh, you know, as, as, as always. But I have to say, Lyle, you know, uh, we, we've met a few times and uh, we've had lunch uh, a couple of times uh, and you're, you're a fascinating individual. Always strike me as incredibly humble uh, for what you've actually achieved in life. And that's quite a quality in itself. Um, and, and I think, you know, um, it, it's important uh, those sort of um, qualities are are explained. I, I think what you've you've done in the world of golf is outstanding. It's sensational, really. Uh, you you were at the centerpiece uh, of of a lot of development. Um, you drove uh, a lot of initiatives forward, and you created um, a, a lot of tournaments and a lot of fun for an awful lot of people. Who basically you created memories. Uh, for a lot of families that still exist and existing in Loch Lomond in particular. And I say it, you know, uh, kids getting married uh, that, um, that, that grew up 
when you had Loch Lomond and you created what Loch Lomond was, and it's a very special place for them, and employees as well at Loch Lomond who have been here 20, 30 years, uh, and, and it's played such an important part of, of their life. Uh, and Lyle, that's what you've created, and uh, the fact that you don't particularly like to talk about it uh, that much, um, you know, because I, I think of your humbleness, but on, on behalf, I think of everybody uh, at a Loch Lomond Golf Club and, and the employees in particular, you know, it gives me an opportunity to thank you so much for what you did and what you created at Loch Lomond Golf Club. And I look forward to having a glass of wine with you, Lyle, and, uh, and, and having a good chat and catch up when you're here in September. So lots of love to Missy and the family. And thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. I know you're exceptionally busy and we really greatly appreciate it. Bill, I want to thank you for what you've done at Lock Moment and the staff and all the people, because without without everybody there, there wouldn't be any Lock Moment. It, it, it took a lot of take a lot of people. And I remember some wonderful people. And I wonder the are wonderful people in Scotland. I mean, it was really a delight to get to know the Scottish people as well as I did over the time and was never disappointed. So I really thank you and I thank the staff and I thank the previous staffs that really helped make Loch Lomond Golf Club. Lyle, have a super rest of the day. See you in September and thank you so, so much. Okay, Bill. Cheers. Okay.